Hello, everyone, and welcome back. You may be listening to this, recognizing the sound of my voice, and be very confused. It is not Daylight Savings yet, but this is a very special Super Saturday edition. A lot of S's there. But it is the Royal Ramble, and I am your host, as always, Blaine the Brain. For the next 20 minutes or so, I will be reviewing the latest premium live event that the WWE just hosted from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. It was Crown Jewel, and I have to say, I went into this show with very low expectations. I wasn't overly impressed with the build, or the card for that matter, but it definitely exceeded those expectations. As a matter of fact, it was pleasantly surprising and did not disappoint at all, aside from maybe one or two minor things. So let's get right into it. There was a kickoff show, which I believe was pre-taped from WWE Studios in Stamford. Not really much to speak of there, and there wasn't really even a kickoff match. I still don't know why they even do these things to lead into the main card, as they more often than not make me want to skip the show, if anything. The main card got underway with a huge grudge match between two veterans, both in pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. It was Bobby Lashley taking on Brock Lesnar, and was a rematch about 10 months in the making from the Royal Rumble, which Lashley won after Lesnar was betrayed by Paul Heyman, and also due to outside interference by Roman Reigns. This match was a huge letdown. Actually, I should preface that by saying that this was one of the two matches on the card that I was actually looking forward to, and did have an impressive build, but the booking left a lot to be desired. So before the match begins, Lesnar is making his entrance, and Lashley attacks him from behind on the floor and sends him into the steps at ringside. Funny, because all this time, I thought Lashley was supposed to be the babyface. That said, they would clear that up by the end of the match, and I'll get to that. Lesnar appeared to have hurt his knee off his step spot. I don't know if this was legitimate or if he was actually just doing a really good job of selling, but that significantly slowed down the overall pace of the match. Lashley then connected with a few spears, the first two in the ring and the third through the barricade outside. Back in the ring, he attempted the hurt lock, but Lesnar managed to avoid it and delivered some rolling German suplexes. He then planted Lashley with an F5 while still selling the knee to his credit, basically basically delivering the move on one leg, but clearly didn't get all of it as Lashley kicked out. On the floor, Lashley fireman's carried Brock up and ran him into the ring post. At this point, the crowd was just booing Lashley out of the building. Lashley again applied the hurt lock in the ring, but Brock managed to kick off the top turnbuckles into a pinning combination for the win, just like that. The match was, I don't want to say terrible, but typical of a Brock Lesnar match, and with a very weak finish. And then after the match, I don't know if this was the original plan or if they just called the audible due to the unexpected crowd response for Lashley, but Lashley played total heel by attacking Lesnar again from behind and once again applying the hurt lock, so it looks like we got a double turn here. I'm not sure if that's the worst decision, but definitely not looking forward to another match after this debacle. Damage Control, represented by Dakota Kai and Io Sky versus Alexa Bliss and Asuka, was up next in a rematch for the women's tag team titles. Byron Saxton interviewed the champs backstage before they made their entrance. Actually, before they even started talking, we got some kind of Donnie Darko-looking graphic on the monitor backstage, and the lights flickered, which distracted Bliss, so it looks like they may be teasing the Dark Alexa character again with Wyatt. Bliss basically said they're prepared for their title defense, and Asuka adds that damage control isn't ready for them. Not a very strong promo, but they accomplished what they needed to. This was a pretty fun match, actually. I thought it was better than the Raw match. They built to a confrontation between former partners in Japan, Asuka and Sky, who had a decent exchange. 
There was a spot where Asuka got crotched on the top turnbuckle, and then Io delivered a springboard dropkick, knocking Asuka into a tree of woe position on the outside, and Dakota followed up with a basement dropkick, sending Asuka to the floor. There was a Tower of Doom spot later on as well, and I generally hate these moves from a psychological standpoint, because you're essentially helping your opponents do even more damage to your own teammate. The finish came when Bliss ascended the ropes, attempting the twisted Bliss on Dakota, but the ref was distracted trying to get both Asuka and Sky out of the ring. This allowed Nikki Cross to come out. She attacked Bliss and delivered a draping corkscrew neckbreaker, and then Dakota rolled over to get the pin and reclaim the titles for her team. It was kind of a bizarre decision to just hot potato the belts like that, but I guess considering that there aren't really any other tag teams in the division, I suppose it really doesn't make much of a difference for now. Logan Paul is shown arriving to the arena with his entourage, including his brother Jake, who pretty well steamrolled over UFC legend Anderson Silva last week. Byron catches up with him, and Paul basically says he's about to shock the world, and that it's going to just take that one lucky punch. Karrion Cross versus Drew McIntyre was up next in a steel cage. I didn't think there was a match that particularly required a steel cage stipulation, especially considering how the finish went down, but overall it wasn't bad. Scarlett, I think, was the huge star of this entire thing, with all of her mannerisms and facial expressions at ringside. She's like the new scary Sherry, isn't she? Cross missed his first attempt at the crosshammer, and McIntyre caught him with a future shock DDT, but once again allowed himself to be distracted by Scarlett like the dumb babyface that he is, and that gave Cross the advantage back. Cross applied the cross jacket, but McIntyre backed him into the turnbuckle to break the move, only for Cross to rebound and finally hit the crosshammer. But then, this was kind of dumb. He had McIntyre down, and instead of going for the pin, or at least trying to escape through the door, he opts to take the longer route by going over the top of the cage to escape. This allows Drew enough time to recover. Drew meets him up there and delivers a superplex from the top of the cage. Drew then tries to go through the door, only for Scarlett to meet him there and mace both him and the referee. Scarlett then closes the door, seals it, and also hides the key. I don't know how she got a hold of that. So Drew ends up going over the top, but then Scarlett realizes that her actions may have backfired and cost her own man the match, which is exactly what happened. She scrambles to get the door open, which he finally does. She then tries to help Cross out, but Drew ends up beating him to the floor for the win. This was a pretty clever finish, I thought, and keeps both guys looking strong. Roman Reigns is next to arrive at the arena with the bloodline minus Sami Zayn, of course. Byron also catches up with him, trying to get a response to Logan Paul's comments from earlier, but Roman just snubs him and walks away, which is pretty funny. Solo then gets in Byron's face and intimidates him a bit, but also says nothing. Heyman then takes the microphone. He mocks Byron's line of questioning and says the steel screws in Logan's fist that give him that one lucky punch should be illegal, which I kind of have to agree with. But Heyman concludes saying that Logan Paul will never have the opportunity to hit that punch anyway. The big six-man tag is up next, featuring the OC taking on Judgment Day, accompanied by Rhea Ripley. Cole mentions that Rhea spoke with him earlier and said her hairstyle was patterned after the late Beth Phoenix, which was a nice touch. Dominic's entire heel persona reminds me so much of Dangerous Danny Davis and that he's good at playing the coward, but I'm not so sure that will benefit him in the, in the long run. He tags in only when AJ Styles is down, but then AJ is quick to his feet and first to attack. 
The OC has Dominic isolated for the next little while, but then Dom lures Carl Anderson right into a big boot from Priest on the outside to regain the advantage for their team. The match built to a confrontation between AJ Styles and Finn Balor, and there was a nice-looking spot where AJ superplexed Balor in sync with dual electric chairs by Gallows to Dominic and Priest to Anderson, which looked pretty cool. Rhea eventually interferes, tripping up Styles and allowing Balor to hit the coup de grace for the win. Somebody mentioned it in the SNME radio group earlier, but I do like that Judgment Day is at least getting wins when it counts. And that led into the next match, and about the only thing that counted here was me taking my bathroom break. In all seriousness, it was Omos versus Braun Strowman. I have to say, I expected the worst here, and I got not bad. It was much better than I expected, and I thought it was booked a lot better than Lesnar versus Lashley, to be honest. This was also probably the best booking of Omos that I've ever seen. He dominated almost the entire match with power moves, but then he missed a splash in the corner, which allowed Strowman to finally get him up for the power slam for the win. It did look like Strowman struggled a bit, and I was kind of worried that he wouldn't get him up there, but he did and pulled off the move. The tag title match was up next with the Usos taking on the Brawling Brutes team of Ridge Holland and Butch. The problem I had with this match, which was actually quite good if I'm being honest, but the Usos are scheduled to defend their titles this week on SmackDown versus The New Day, who are the current record holders for the longest reign as tag team champions, and are attempting to prevent the Usos from breaking it this week. That's a great story, and there was just no way they were going to let it slip through their fingers, meaning that there was no chance of a title change here, and as good a match as this was, that kind of took me out of the match. The Bruce gained the early advantage, and then the Usos just try to leave with the belts, but Butch cuts them off with a dive off the apron. Later in the match, Jimmy tries a splash, but gets caught in a triangle choke on the way down by Butch. He manages to lift Butch off the ground, and then his brother Jay delivers a super kick to Butch to break the hold. There was then a double Uso splash, and the pin was broken up by Holland. And then the finish came off a blind tag by Jimmy to his brother Jay, so the Usos had Butch isolated and delivered a very impressive 1D off the top rope, which was a thing of beauty. It looked amazing and kept the Usos' reign intact. As I was expecting the main event at this point, I can't believe that I totally forgot about this match, as it was the only other one that I was really looking forward to, and that's the last woman standing match between Bailey and Bianca Belair. And unlike the other match, this one did not disappoint at all. Dare I say that it was the greatest women's match of 2022 thus far, though I may have to rewatch the Bound for Glory match between Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich to say for sure. Bailey tried using the kendo stick in the early going, but Bianca did a great job of avoiding her. Bailey eventually caught her, though, and ended up positioning Bianca in a seated position on a steel chair at ringside and executed a running clothesline off the barricade. Bianca regains the advantage and starts dragging Bailey back to the ring, but it looked like Bailey slipped off the entrance ramp and tweaked her ankle as she was selling it, only to lure Bianca in and sucker punch her. Classic heel spot, I loved it. Bailey then actually opens one of the panels connecting the barricade and swings it into Bianca's face, which I don't think I've ever seen before. She then uses the steel steps to kind of trap Bianca against the ring apron, but Bianca manages to fight, fight free and beat the 10 count. Bianca then grabs the kendo stick and Bailey tries to run, so Bianca chases her up the entrance ramp and catches her at the top, only for Bailey to pull her into a Bailey to belly suplex on top of the ramp. Bailey then brings out an equipment case and rolls it into Bianca, who actually falls inside the case, and Bailey tries to close the lid on her, but Bianca escapes. 
Bailey then applies a crossface and then drives a golf cart out a la Kane at WrestleMania 17. Bianca turns the tables and drives Bailey's face into the cart. She then positions Bailey on top of the cart and drives it to ringside. There was a nasty table spot where Bailey, who is still on top of the cart, grabs Bianca by the braid, but Bianca overpowers her and uses her own braid to pull Bailey off the cart, and Bailey lands on the table, which doesn't break. I mean, talk about ouch. But she appeared to be okay, and Bianca completed the sequence by hitting a powerbomb through the table. Back in the ring, Bianca sets Bailey up on a stack of chairs and positions more chairs on top of her, and then tries a 450 splash but misses. She does end up hitting Bailey later with a KOD on another chair, and then there was a very creative finish where Bianca positions Bailey between a ladder and positions the opening of the ladder underneath the bottom rope, so that when Bailey tries to escape, the rope is blocking her so she can't get up. I loved this finish, even though I was kind of hoping for a title change here, but we'll see what they have next in line for either of these two moving forward. Or perhaps maybe they just continue. And then the show came to a screeching halt as the one and only Bray Wyatt takes his own sweet time making his entrance. He comes to the ring for a promo and says it's time to remind everyone just who he is. I thought he's been doing that for the last few weeks, hasn't he? He says he wants to rewrite the ending to his own story. Then that Uncle Creepy Guy, or whatever his name is, appears on screen again and says something about exposing Wyatt for who he really is. Firstly, that guy looks a lot like Malachi slash Alistair Black. Secondly, this was just a lot more of the same with Wyatt. I know us wrestling fans have very short attention spans, but thus far, this new incarnation doesn't feel any different than his previous versions, and I'm already getting tired of it. So that was one of the low points of the show, but it was worth it because it all led right into perhaps one of the most pleasant surprises that I've ever seen. It was the main event for the Universal WWE title between Roman Reigns and Logan Paul. You know, say what you will about Logan Paul, but the guy honestly puts in the work, and I'm not even just talking about the stuff he does in the ring, which is impressive in itself, but just as important is what he does when he isn't wrestling. He plays to the audience, he sells his opponent's offense, he knows how to cut a half-decent promo, and what to do when the camera is on him. These aren't things you can just easily learn in a wrestling school. I hate to admit it, but this guy is talented in more ways than one. And then we get to the match, and I'm completely blown away. For someone who is only having his third match ever in the business, he put on a more impressive and memorable performance than more than half of the current locker room, and that's a, not a knock on any of them, but it speaks volumes. This felt like a main event level performance. Okay, I'm done drooling. Let's just get into it. Logan Paul actually connected with a buckshot lariat at one point. Roman then misses a splash in the corner, and Logan delivers a gut-wrench suplex. He then actually catches Reigns with his own version of the Superman punch. Logan then tries tuning up the band like Shawn Michaels, but Roman blocks a superkick attempt and hits a urinagi for two, and Paul actually took some pretty good bumps in this match as well, including this one. Logan comes back with another Superman punch. He then takes a phone from one of his lackeys at ringside and actually delivers a frog splash to Roman off the top rope through the announce table while taking a mid-air selfie, and the move looked flawless. Then the match kind of took a negative turn with some overbooking as the Usos ran down. They took out Logan's entourage, but then Jake Paul comes out and knocks out both Usos. Logan hit a second frog splash to Reigns in the ring for a very close near fall. 
Then Solo Sokoa comes out and faces off with Paul, but before they get physical, the security team runs out to separate them, and I thought this was very smart booking, as you want to keep Solo looking like an enforcer should. Logan Paul then clears the top rope with a dive onto the Usos at ringside, which was right out of the Undertaker playbook. But as he gets back into the ring, he's immediately met with a Superman punch by Reigns and then a spear for the final three count, and Roman Reigns is still your heavyweight champion of the world. So that was Crown Jewel. I will be back next week to talk about all the major happenings. I might be moving my time slot to Saturdays from now on, depending on listenership, but until we meet again, it's ABC-ya. Shh.